Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night, depending on where you're listening from. Thank you for attending this week's episode of Coalescence Publishing's podcast. This week, we are going to talk about our favorite genres to write. And boy, I tell you, it's going to be quite the episode because Wyatt here is going to be telling us his favorite genre, which I already know what it is, and I'm really excited for it. So, before we continue with that, though, Wyatt, I did some more research into the Lord of the Rings Amazon series, and man, I tell you what, it's insane how much money they're putting into that. (laughs) I still can't believe it, man. It is. It is truly phenomenal. Uh, they are banking. They are banking on fantasy. It, it's it's so odd to see such a big, uh, big studio, big money maker like Amazon banking on fantasy. Even if it like even if it is Lord of the Rings, you know what right. I'm saying? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know that begs, you know, the question. As a society, are we naturally more inclined to fantasy these days more than what we used to be? Like, we have the pandemic. We have all these social injustices going on in the world today. Um, Not going to get into it because we don't do politics here on the show, but... Uh, You know, we have a lot of social injustices that happen. And for a lot of people, the world is a very abysmal place to live in. So do you think that is a correlation, Wyatt, between the sudden, well, not sudden, but the increase in fantasy that we're starting to see in mainstream television? Uh, Not quite. I will oh. say I will say that uh, that might have something to do with it. There is an element where escapism becomes more pervasive as things kind of get worse. I mean, J.R.R. Tolkien was writing during and before World War II, so obviously a rough time across the globe. And uh, uh, Lord of the Rings took off, so. Yeah, it was very it was very popular then. It's very getting very popular now. I think fantasy, the advent of more popular, like the the more popularity of fantasy, might have a lot to do with the the need for escapism. But I think another thing it has to do is uh, uh, empathy. That is what I think it has to do with is because think about Game of Thrones. Think about The Witcher. Um, both popular, both really popular TV shows and were both were kind of grim. Both are kind of grim. Um, both are kind of embrace this kind of gritty, real gritty realism in their storytelling and so on and so forth. And that's not necessarily escapism to me that, that, that doesn't scream as, uh, people wanting to escape into, some heroics or some feel good fantasy that tells me that people are wanting to be heard. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting. I've thought about this since I heard about the Lord of the Rings, Amazon TV show, um, because it was announced right after game of Thrones season eight. 
the final, the finale of Game of Thrones. And um, I was like, okay, well, Amazon is just trying to take take on Game of Thrones. Amazon, Amazon is just trying to, f- to find something that can fill that Game of Thrones niche um, for their, for their audiences and draw people to Amazon prime, uh, and away from HBO and Netflix. And I've been curious how they adopt Lord of the Rings for a postmodern audience, because that sounds like it's going to be difficult. Lord of the Rings was written. There are some politics in Lord of the Rings. There is some elements of, of political intrigue and stuff like that. But, but Lord of the Rings in and of itself is a very modernist work. It's very black and white. It's very, um, good and evil. And it's complex in the way that it examines the way we're affected by evil and so on and so forth. But that being said, that's not necessarily postmodernism, and that's not necessarily uh, like the sort of thing that game, the sort of niche that Game of Thrones, not even niche because it was so popular, but the the sort of attitude, social attitude and mood that Game of Thrones captured. I'm not sure without dis- without betraying the source material, Amazon is going to be able to make Lord of the Rings vie for that position do you think they need to vie for that position no not necessarily but i don't i don't think any any art needs to try to conform to anything that's that's uh not what i'm saying i think what i am saying is that this is what amazon wants it to be uh amazon wants the lord of the rings show to be the next game of thrones they it's very i feel like it's very obvious in the the timeline of the lord of the rings show and and uh kind of where it's all coming from uh corporately speaking i think that I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm kind of worried that with all this big budget and this big bet that they're making on fantasy and this bet that they're making on their ability to usurp game of Thrones, um, is going to require them to kind of betray the source material of Tolkien and and betray the themes that Tolkien wanted for his works to, to evoke in his works. Yeah, but knowing Tolkien, do you think that's okay? Hmm. Ah, that was a good question, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I think Tolkien was definitely trying to make certain statements, like we talked about last episode. Uh, he was definitely trying to talk about environmentalism. He was definitely trying to talk about the ways that we engage with industrial technology and the ways that we engage with our humanity um, versus the evil side of in, of machines. And I mean, in a lot of ways, technology, it, Tolkien kind of says technology bad in his works, which is, you know, not really a nuanced argument. Uh, but it becomes more nuanced as you dialogue with the things that are going on. Um, he doesn't 
Gondor uses a lot of technology, but he he obviously doesn't say that Gondor is bad. Um, and so uh, I don't think I don't know. You know, I wouldn't dare to say that Tolkien would be disappointed with a new interpretation of his works. That being said, um, I think Tolkien's works need not be reinterpreted for the things that they want to say. Very interesting, Wyatt. So, when when I think of Tolkien, oh, my dogs are barking. Sorry, everyone. They are a little crazy tonight. <laughs> we got a thunderstorm rolling in. I'm sure we've got a lot of uh, fur parents <laughs> in our audience. So while we're on that subject, I'll go ahead and spill the beans, guys. So I have two dogs. Their names are Buddy and Minnie. I will totally post pictures up if you want me to. Um, but Buddy is a dash hound and... Uh, miniature pincher cross and mini is a dash hound in chihuahua cross now <laughs> interesting now everyone looks at mini and thinks she's like a precious little dog because she only weighs like seven pounds but really she is like an evil mastermind <laughs> <laughs> um but anyways i really think why we should do an episode on token one of these days and maybe bring on a guest um, because there's just so much we could talk about it but what I was going to say before my dogs went crazy um, I think Tolkien meant for us to make our own stories out of his works to a point and you're definitely correct Tolkien had some statements he was making when he wrote you know The Hobbit The Cimmerillion the Lord of the Rings, environmentalism, uh, talking about the fires of industry and how there's both, you know, well, I was going to say how he mentioned there's good and bad fires of industry, but Gondor isn't really shown in too much of a good light with Denethor being the steward of Gondor and everything like that, basically running it into a dystopian city, essentially. Well, uh, uh, I, w- I would contest, I would contest that. I think Denethor is really made out to be a very empathetic character in the books, in the movies. He's not, uh, he, he's kind of right. Like you said, he's, he's kind of running Gondor into the ground, but in the books, Tolkien makes a big deal out of the fact that he has been poisoned. Poisoned is a lot of the the words used to describe it uh, a lot of times. Oh, absolutely. Really, I think Tolkien wanted Denethor to be depressed. Like, Denethor in the books was so much more nuanced in the fact that he he's just lost hope. And hope is a big deal in Lord of the Rings. That's one. That's another reason why I don't think that Lord of the Rings will capture a uh, a modern audience is because um, hopelessness is kind of in chic with modern audiences. And Tolkien's works is all about getting hope back into the world. Um, and Denethor is an is an example of what hopelessness looks like. Uh, well. 
Yeah. Denethor in the books has one of the Palantirs and right. you know, it's been a while since I've seen the movies. I think they touch base on it there as well. Mm-hmm. Um but Denethor is definitely being manipulated by Sauron. Mm-hmm. Um because Denethor I I forget the exact quote, but it goes on to say like Denethor spent most of his days looking into the sea and eye and basically seeing Gondor in ruins and mm-hmm. the armies of darkness, you know, Sauron and even Saruman overtaking Middle Earth. And that in itself created this sense of despair. Mm-hmm. But before we go off on a tangent, <laughs> let's go back to the main topic today. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite genre to write about, Wyatt? Yeah, uh, no segue it could take us uh, could take us smoothly away from a to- deep Tolkien deep dive. Um, so let's just get right into it. My favorite genre to write is surprisingly not fantasy, as much as I love fantasy. Uh, to read and to watch uh, and play even my favorite genre to write is uh, actually kind of a cross between the weird west and gas lamp fantasy I suppose that is a kind of fantasy but it's not the high fantasy I like to read and watch and uh, play in video games and stuff no um, early on when I, whenever I first started writing, one of the first things I dis, I have discovered is that writing fantasy, like medieval European centric uh, fantasy, is difficult for me, and and it's it's really difficult for me to imagine worlds um, that aren't that are kind of embrace that medieval feeling um i love adapting work so i, I love playing D and stuff like that so i love writing for D sessions in the forgotten realms and so on and so forth because it's so interesting to figure out how magic like one time i was running a game for some players and one of the things that I did, they were in a tavern, and one of the things that I did was uh, people were casting spells to just do menial things. Like one of them cast spells to fill up a water glass. Another one cast uh, a spell to let them know that their order was ready at the bar. And I love doing stuff like that. But when I sit down to write a novel set in a medieval fantasy world, it's always been so difficult. But then I discovered this genre called gas lamp fantasy and it's a subgenre, and it kind of captured me a little bit because i've always been curious like what would happen if we took middle earth or the forgotten realms and we fast forwarded technology to the point of like the wild west or um just the industrial era period and then I, that's, I was kind of researching that when I found Gaslamp Fantasy and I started reading into Gaslamp Fantasy and finding out the aesthetics of it. And it's very much similar to cyberpunk in a way. A lot of, a lot of people would be 
easily confused to say that Gaslamp Fantasy and Cyberpunk are the same thing. But Cyberpunk, or not Cyberpunk, I'm sorry, um, Steampunk is what I'm referring to. Um, Steampunk is much more of a science fiction subgenre. There might be some magic-y elements in a steampunk setting, but it's way it's going to be way more focused on the technology and the and the the brass chic of all this steam technology. Gaslamp fantasy is way more like interpreting magic in an industrial or pre-industrial setting so you know you have your imagine gas lamps imagine like a world like Edgar Allan Poe if you want to be on the darker side imagine these things and then imagine what what would be like if there was magic involved in that sort of world and then as I'm researching this I'm like well what was happening at the same time as like Victorian England so that's it's kind of like the uh, the template aesthetic for a gas lamp fantasy is Victorianism. Uh, I started looking into that and I found out, well, the wild West that the Western genre is, um, centered around the same sort of aesthetic, the same sort of time period. And so I really started to figure out that some of my favorite genres to write were way I still like to write fantasy. I still like to engage with magic and mysteries and things that are not necessarily real. Um, I still world build original worlds. I don't, I'm not like writing earth, but with magic or anything like that. I'm writing my own world. Um, But one of the, one of the things that I've realized is that, it's so much easier to write these things because they're so much closer to my cultural kind of subconscious. And by that, I mean that I've been to these places. Like I visited uh, civil war, American civil war monuments and land um, parks and such uh, things like that. I've seen this technology and it's really kind of fresh in my mind, the things that went on in that time period. I can easily imagine cobblestone, the sort of cobblestone streets lined with gas lamp, uh, with gas lamps and that buildings, it's sure like Sherlock Holmes type congested cities and urban spheres. I can imagine that sort of world way easier than I can imagine uh, a castle Um, and, and like wide open fields of farms or even a small village. I feel like one of the things that we do in a lot in fantasy is that we imagine that we have this kind of RPG esque template in our minds of what a village looks like but really if you research it villages were just just a few buildings and they were really small and you didn't have like big houses or anything like that they writers and game makers and and show makers kind of portray villages as like these way bigger than they what 
what they would have been. And so that all of that kind of makes it a lot harder to imagine fantasy worlds set these that far back. And for me, I've just found a lot of enjoyment in imagining, reimagining the industrial era in the lens of fantasy, in the lens of magic and wonder. And what does magic and wonder mean in a world where technology is on the rise? I think is such an interesting question to to write about. So, first of all, wow! I was not expecting that. Um, <laughs> One thing I'm really glad that you touched base on is the use of villages. Um, you are right. Villages were just a f- few buildings, if that. Um, I think people get towns and villages confused a lot. Um, since we're on this topic, are you writing anything currently that that's in this mix of gas lamp and weird west uh yeah shameless plug i'm currently in the works on a project that uh i call it the g3 project but that that's in reference to the series franchise world name uh however you want to take that of gas uh, gun smoke gas lamps and gothica gun smoke gas lamps and gothica and it's it's just like I've been talking about a kind of synthesis between Weird West and Gaslamp Fantasy in an original setting, <clears throat> where magic users kind of deal with the advent of industrialism. Um, there is a, a big element of the world is the presence of undead, the undead always rise so you know if you just keep a body laying around eventually it's going to get up and it's going to be violent and so there's a lot of the world building there to discover for the the audience about what do they do with their dead how is there is there there is class conflict between people who can afford better graves to house their dead versus people who can't afford to even bury their dead. Um, so they just kind of take them out into the wild and, and lay the bodies out or bury them in shallow graves. Um, and so the wilds, you know, you think about the wild West and you kind of, you already have, there's a lot of the wild is dangerous. You already have uh, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. But now you've got the undead in the mix. <laughs> Uh, for for a lone a lone ranger out on the trail uh, might not just be thinking about the wildlife in this world setting and it's been such a joy to write and to think about the implications of all of these things and to come up with characters to come up with interesting and intriguing characters um, that I, I've come up with so many that it's almost difficult to find stories to put them in that like, I've just come up with so many interesting characters. That I'm trying to find places, um, to fit them into the story. And it's, it's honestly, um, 
difficult, but one of the, my favorite things about the Western genre is that the Western genre often has redundant characters. Uh, if you if you look into uh, Western literature, not Western literature, but literature in the Western genre, um, one of the things that you see is a lot of redundant characters. You just see, you know, the, the protagonist will come across a lot of people that influence them in some way, but then kind of disappear or turn up in some dramatic way um, later on down the road. And it all just kind of serves to build this sphere of influence. Not that the character is having an influence on, but that are having an influence on the character. So that's been extremely fun to, to write about and, and ponder. Well, why it seems like you have your hand full, um, well, hands full rather. Thank you for sharing with us. I honestly can't wait to read when it's done, like the entire G3 saga. From what I've read so far, you've definitely hooked me. Again, shameless promo, but we need more gaslamp fantasy or weird west authors because like i was talking i think this last episode or episode before last too many authors these days focus on fantasy way too many do and if if that is your genre that really makes you happy then by all means do it but a lot of people write fantasy for sole purpose of monetizing it and they don't really care a lot about what they write. That is something I am noticing. And, you know, I'm not going to name names or anything like that because we don't do that here on this show. But um, the other day I was talking to a young author and they were about to publish a uh, new book. And I asked them, I was like, what's your favorite part about writing your stories? And why it, their answer was thinking of all the money I'm going to get because I'm just copying George R.R. R. Martin. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, that's really disappointing. It, it blew my mind. It, it is highly, highly disappointing, man. And excuse my French here, but it pisses me the hell off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, people want to talk about the literary world. Ooh, my temper's rising. (laughs) People want to talk about the literary world and how the author community is starting to die out a little bit. Well, you have people like that to blame. Back in the day, yeah, don't get me wrong. We have always had authors who have written just to make money. Always. But it has gotten more prevalent now. And I don't know if that's because there's a lot more ease of access to writing. Like NaNoWriMo offers this fantastic suite of novel writing softwares and resources and everything like that completely for free. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, we are not sponsored by NaNoWriMo, but I will say this. If you are a new author or a seasoned author and you are looking 
for some resources that can help you develop your story out or anything like that, anything you need to write a book, check out NaNoWriMo. They are a large nonprofit organization. Um, I am highly in favor of them. They do some really good work. And it's places like that that's keeping the writing community alive. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, that is a whole other conversation for a whole other episode. <laughs> um, Wyatt, would you like to know what my favorite genre to write is? Uh, sure. You don't sound too certain there, Wyatt. <clears throat> well, I was just going to say one thing before we move yeah. on, if that's okay with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think one of the reasons, first off, one of the reasons why we have this problem in the literary community is because corp like corporatization of society has gotten so deep into us. A lot of people only go into jobs to make money. Um, like I know of a person in particular who, who has said to me outright that the only reason they became, they're becoming a psychologist because they know they can make money. And so it's not necessarily a good thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing. But it is not something that you can blame people for in a world that's so consumed with the profit motive. So that you have that. And then the second thing is I would encourage you and a lot all the writers out there um, who really care about their art and really care about their voice. That it's never the people who it's never the people who are copying, pasting other people's work just to make money that influence the art that influence it's never those people that influence the the literate literature as a as a human phenomenon like it's never those people it's the people who take something and craft it with love enthusiasm and deep deep engagement and empathy those are the people that influence literature as a whole and that's that's what we should all be shooting for is making literature communicate the the ailments the hopes and the horrors of a generation i definitely agree with the point you're making however i do believe that we disagree on one point Wyatt. I don't think it's just the people that create or reinvent certain genres or tropes, what have you with love and, you know, efforts, etc., etc., that defines or redefines or influences the literary world as a whole in the past. Absolutely. But now, um, again, not going to name names, but there's an author group on Facebook that has over 300,000 people a part of it, Wyatt. And this entire group, the group of admins, is preaching that you need to write to make money and only money. And to do so, here's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Read Lord of the Rings. Read George R. R. Martin read twilight read 50 shades of gray you know they have a list of the big best time sellers based on the genre you choose 
and it's telling you to read and copy what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And 300,000 people in the author community, that's a lot, man. And that is why I'm saying that, <laughs> yes, that is definitely influencing the community. Mm-hmm. Um, we are already starting to see what's happened mm-hmm. when people started copying Fifty Shades of Grey, Twilight, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and now George R. R. Martin. We're seeing these influxes of of books that's just going on the same one, two, three basis of here is um, fantasy setting, big bad villain, hero, maybe has a romantic interest, boom, the end. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, for, very formulaic. Very formulated, almost as if they're following an algorithm that was given to them and again disclaimer i'm not saying every author out there is like that there are i i personally like to think the majority of authors out there the heavy majority has a love for what they're writing because i'm sorry guys but if you put your blood sweat and tears into writing a 60,000 70,000 word novel you're gonna fall in love with what you wrote nine times out of ten like it's hard not to care about that but i'm mainly focused on the authors who write 30 40 000 words publish it just for money pumping out 20 books a year that type of stuff you know it's like they target the algorithm just correctly mm-hmm. anyways well one um, might honestly say it's yes. quite Lovecraftian. Ah, <laughs> nice segue. I was just I about to say we should have been practicing. I appreciate that. Um, I was just about to say we should save that conversation for another day with a guest um, about the whole author's publishing for many stuff. Anyways, so yes, Lovecraft. Well, guys, why it spoiled it for you? Um, <laughs> my favorite, <laughs> my favorite genre to write is Lovecraftian uh, slash cosmic horror. Um, the other day, I was reading this book from the Lovecraft Mythos called "The Hounds of Tindalos," and that book, well, not book, that story was so amazingly mind-bending and it helped me realize because i've been going through some writer's block the past couple of weeks with my um cosmic horror story i'm writing but it definitely helped recenter me with exactly what theme i'm wanting to go with the whole well let, let me rephrase it helped me find why i love cosmic horror again I love, as a philosophy major, the fact of, well, the fact that we as humans try our best to comprehend the uncomprehensible. And H.P. Lovecraft and other authors that 
contribute to the Lovecraft mythos. They do such a wonderful job with describing the indescribable, making us think. Like, for example, there's these beings that exist outside of the realm of reality, the realm of order, per se. And we can't say that these beings are inherently evil because they exist beyond the human scope of morality. And because of that, we cannot call these creatures evil. But what they're doing is evil through a human perspective. And it creates this loophole. Well, not loophole. It creates this paradox where are they evil? Are they not evil? And it's stuff like that that really makes me love writing cosmic horror. Um, it's very subtle. You're making everyday items, everyday scenes, yeah, very right. subtly unnatural. The uncanny. Absolutely. And for that, I love writing Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Well, Lovecrafty and stuff. Well, um, so... Yes, go oops. ahead. Uh, I was going to say one of my favorite things from what you've done so far is uh, uh, kind of take Lovecraft, take Cosmic Horror and Lovecraft out of the uh, kind of my area, my wheelhouse of what I like, which is Victorian uh, era technology and industrial era technology. You're kind of been taking you have kind of been taking lovecraft into the realm of the modern and that's one of my favorite things uh that that you've been doing we can talk about it more on the next episode when we talk about innovating on genres um but that's one of my favorite things and i'm wondering like how 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 has that worked for you is it is it um enjoyable how how uh how is it difficult to imagine cosmic horror situations in a more modern setting. Oh, absolutely. So the other day I was hanging out with James and we were talking about my writer's block and he's like, well, what, what's going on? And I'm like, I literally cannot explain or describe or write what's going on right now. Yeah, I just hit this wall. It is perhaps, and I've written fantasy in the past. That's my second favorite thing to write. Um, I've written fantasy, and it is so much easier doing that. This has been the, by far, the hardest thing I have ever written before in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And since it's going to be my official like first publication under my actual name and not a pen name... Yeah, it's pretty high I'm, stakes. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Because if I do it right, I basically reimagine a genre and basically tell other authors, it's okay to bring this into a modern level mm-hmm. rather than sticking with the traditional trope. If I do it wrong, I've just insulted one of my favorite authors of all time mm-hmm. and his entire fan base. Mm. And if that's the case, then that's the case. But I think Harwin Hospitality, shameless promo. Um, I think Harwin Hospitality 
might honestly be a genre of its own. Yes, it has cosmic horror elements to it, but the entire story is not fully cosmic horror, Wyatt. Mm -hmm. And because of that, that's something that's kind of been helping me ease myself through the storyline. Because not all of it has to be weird stuff going on. Um, There's this point I'm at right now where... Uh, one of the characters, Garosimos, and the main character, Samson, they're talking in this house about sunglasses. And, yes, that's basically a normal conversation. But the premise behind it is so Lovecraftian, like... You're taking a mundane conversation and there's this twisted, oh God, help me out here, Wyatt. There's this twisted um, theme. Yeah, it's uncanny. About there's it. an uncanniness yeah. to the conversation where it's like, it, it. it's a natural conversation, but it feels unnatural. There's something about it that feels like this is, there's something weird here. And that's just the uncanny. That is, uh, you know, as... As you know, that's just human, and that's exactly the kind of reaction that, uh, that, as a Lovecraftian writer, you know, you you want a, a reader to have. Absolutely, um, not to toot my own horn here or anything like that, but I've had some people like reading through it as I write, and um, they're they're definitely getting the Lovecraftian vibes from it that I'm wanting them to get. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how it turns out, right? Um, Maybe we'll do an episode on it when it's published. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and but... I, I like what you brought up about, uh, you know, how it, not everything has to be weird stuff going on. Because I feel like a lot of times when we're writing in a genre and the genre conventions weigh heavily on us, like we talked about in episode one, mm-hmm. um, we kind of get the feeling like everything just needs to be over the top. Embrace the elements sort of um, feeling uh, by a writer and and it can be difficult to to realize that writing is one of the few literary and few narrative mediums that allows you to embrace the little moments think about how many TV shows movie well maybe not TV shows let's get a, a little bit better at this um, but movies and video games particularly um, that you've engaged with that, that give you tiny, like, little moments of human interaction. It's always plot, 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 plot. Everything well, everything pushes forward the narrative because of budgetary constraints, really. I mean, that's one of the main reasons why. Um, but writing... Can I interject really quick on that yeah, before go ahead. we continue? Um, there is one exception to that, Wyatt. Mm-hmm. Again, we are not sponsored by this, but... One of my favorite games of all time, Lord of the Rings Online. I know, I know. Um, you have a lot of moments in there that are just like that, Wyatt, where it's not really plot-driven. Like, for example, I'll be on my horse, on my lore master character, riding through Breland, and on the side of the road, it's nothing to see an NPC there saying hello to you. And they're thanking you because of something you did back in Moria that they heard about. And it's like been nine months ago 
completely not plot driven at all, man. Mm -hmm. But they're thanking you. You get a little item from them. And that's it. And it, it just really makes you stop and think to yourself, like, wow, that is really immersive. And you can take the time to enjoy that little tidbit there. Yeah. Well, so. for sure, for sure. It, it that that is immersive. Um but it's also kind of it it's still for me. This is just for me personally. I'm not going to speak for anybody else. But as immersive as that is, it still kind of just feels like this algorithmic response of the game rather than a moment between characters. Um and Possibly the best game for embracing the little moments, in my opinion, is Red Dead Redemption 2, uh, which needs no introduction. But in Red Dead Redemption... I've never heard of it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, In Red Dead Redemption, you are encouraged by the game to embrace the little moments. However, a lot of times those little moments are just between... Arthur and his horse or Arthur and himself, you and Arthur, the Arthur Morgan is the main character of the game. Um, and, and one of the things, what I'm talking about is not necessarily like a mechanical little moment. I'm talking about like little moments between characters, like in dialogue. I, I just recently got done playing through the mass effect games. And one of the things that I realized is that as as deep and in depth as the the Mass Effect games are, and interactions between you and your crewmates, the main character and your crewmates, and everything like that, there never seem. There's a lot skipped over. Um, if you look into the lore, it's like you're fa- even faster than light travel can take weeks. So you are traveling faster than light to a planet, and it just kind of gets you there so that you can do whatever you want to. But in the background, you know, okay, weeks have just passed. Um, and it's like, what happened during those weeks? The game can't explore that because then that would require you to spend in game weeks, not doing your objective and just doing day to day things. Um, but one of the things about writing and the narrative medium of words on a page is that you can embrace that. Like you can, no matter what genre you're writing in, you can have these little moments between characters that are just very authentic and very day-to-day slice-of-life moments in a book. And one of my favorite, I'll give an example and then I'll be done. Uh, Sorry uh, if everyone's getting tired of me ranting. Um, But one of my favorite things that I've ever done was it's for a book that I don't even plan on plan on publishing anymore, but uh, it was a, a book that was starting with a prologue about an, an, I, an uh, elf ambassador falling in love with this sort of human noble daughter of nobility. And there's a lot of discrimination and stuff like that. It was kind of derivative in that way. And the daughter was going to be the main character of the book, the daughter of that. But my favorite part of writing that was I was writing this moment when they're at a party 
and he first meets her and they're having this really romantically and sexually charged conversation um, using a lot of innuendos and stuff like that. And that was one of my favorite things that I've ever written. And it had nothing to do with fantasy whatsoever. You could take the fact that he's an elf out of the equation entirely. And something there, there, there's, there's something about that writing that conversation just felt so good as a writer to do because it was just embracing human interaction rather than action, action, action beat, plot point, plot point, plot point. And that's, you know, that's something that we can all do, whether you're writing Lovecraftian fiction or Gaslamp fantasy or Victorian romance, mystery, whatever um, you're doing as an author of a novel. You have the power and the ability to inject these quiet slice of life moments. I really like that, Wyatt. You are absolutely correct. Being an author, you hold that magic wand of creativeness, of creativity. And if you can make those little moments that just... Make your audience think for just a second, wow. Just wow. Then you're doing something right. Um, with that being said, Wyatt, we are at 50 minutes. <laughs> um, I think this is a wonderful time to, you know, let our audience enjoy the rest of their work week and let us get some water and think about what we're going to do next time. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, I hope that you enjoyed our discussions and our, uh, our talks about our favorite genres to write. If you like this sort of content and you want to keep seeing it, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, comment, um, and everything, do all the things, all the things that, uh, increase our presence uh, on the algorithm so that we can keep making this um, and you can keep hearing us rant <laughs> oh, <laughs> if you like that. even even if the algorithm doesn't like us uh, I still have it in my mind to keep doing this stuff absolutely um, but just like Wyatt said um, definitely you know if you like us you know what to do if you want to see what else we do follow us on Facebook Twitter Instagram and discord again discord is going to be probably the best place to uh, be part of our little community and hopefully make it a big community so with that being said thank you all for listening this week and if you're a writer keep on writing if you're a reader keep on reading if you're a doctor keep saving lives or if you're a philosopher keep thinking until next time folks bye bye bye